the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1. So let's give our attention to the Word of God from Romans chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 8 and reading through verse 17. The Apostle says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you love us, that you've loved us in Jesus, your own beloved Son. Thank you for opening your word to us this morning and promising to be speaking to us, Father, to be continuing to perfect the good work that you alone have begun in us and the good work that you are going to complete in us. And uh, we look to you, Heavenly Father, we trust in the work of your Spirit today. In the name of our Jesus, we pray, amen. There have been times when I have been ashamed of the gospel, and I'm ashamed to say that, but it's true. Uh, <clears throat> there was one afternoon that I was down at the church in Montevideo, and a young man came through our doors, as very often people do, looking for help. And he came in asking me for a pair of shoes. So I asked him to come back the next day, and he did, and I brought with me a pair of sneakers that I had at home that I wasn't using anymore. And so I gave them to them, gave them to the, the young man, and uh, he was really happy about that, all smiles, and he left. He came back a week later, believe it or not, and uh, he was wearing my sneakers, and he's like, Pastor, look, they fit perfectly. And that gave me a lot of joy uh, to know that I was able to help him that way. But he left. And then I realized I didn't say anything to him about Christ. Uh, I had two opportunities there with, with this one man. I had two times he came by. And not once did I mention Jesus or who he is. I didn't even say anything like, well, I'm helping you out because I know that Christ has loved me and I want to show you the love of Christ. I didn't even say that. And so I realized that I was acting 
ashamed of the good news of the gospel. And, and again, it is a shame to, be, to have to say that to you and confess it to you this morning, but it's true. Um, that's the way at times it's been for me. And to think of everything that God has done for me in Christ, and yet still I'm ashamed to speak of Him to others. But not the Apostle Paul, not him. Uh, as he's starting out his letter here to the Roman church, in verse 15, what does he say? I am eager to preach the gospel to you. And then going on in the text we're looking at today, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And, and really, he's expressing himself saying, my glory is in the gospel, or I take pride in the gospel and all that it is. The Apostle Paul had no fear of his enemies among the Jews, uh, neither was he intimidated by the Greek philosophers of his day. Paul was not concerned about winning some type of popularity contest, but the Apostle just wanted to proclaim the gospel because he knew very well how God transforms lives through the grace of the gospel. But you know, unlike Paul, you and I can often act ashamed of our Lord Jesus. There are plenty of opportunities that God gives us to speak with someone about Christ, but we, we don't. Uh, we're afraid maybe what they're going to think of us. Maybe we're worried, as has been the case with me. They're going to ask me something that uh, I'm not going to have an answer for. I'll look embarrassed. Or, you know, maybe if it's somebody... If it's somebody in our family, we're afraid to bring it up because we know we're going to see them quite often. We don't want them to get upset. <clears throat> well, brothers and sisters, there's every reason for us not to be ashamed of the gospel. There's every reason for us to share the gospel. And maybe very often we don't is just because we don't consider often enough how beautiful the gospel is and, and what it means to us and all that God has done for us. And that's really, <clears throat> really what Paul gets at, and that, that's what we want to be reminded of here this morning. All the beauty of the gospel and His saving grace so that we'll be encouraged to tell others about the same gospel. And what Paul tells us really is the gospel is, first of all, it's news, but it's good news. It's good news. And it's good news of the power of God for salvation. And it's good news for really everyone, that is, everyone who believes. Because it's the good news of the gift of God giving His own righteousness to men, to sinners like us. And that's a righteousness that we, we accept only by faith, by putting our trust in Christ. So let's look together, all right, from... Verses 16 to 17. Let's start by seeing that the gospel is, first of all, good news. It's good news. If all you and I had to share was just bad news, all right, then we would have good reason to be ashamed. Um, <clears throat> I can't personally imagine how hard it would be for a doctor to have to tell his patient that his cancer had spread through most of his body and there was really nothing else that they could do to help him. But, beloved, our news is good news. As you probably know, the word for gospel in the original language 
actually means, means exactly that, good news. God is proclaiming a good message to the world. And this is the message, really, of the entire book of Romans, as Paul is writing. Uh, Paul starts his letter. How does he start it out, though? He describes sin <laughs> and the reality of sin. In fact, here in verse 18, he, say, he gets, right, gets at it right away. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And if you read a little further on in chapter 3, Paul's citing several psalms in the Old Testament saying, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does what is good. So, does that sound like really good news to you? But it really is good news because God's good news of salvation has to begin with the bad news of our own sin. Unless we first see our sin, we're not going to see our need for a Savior. We have to recognize our own sin and the punishment we deserve for it, and we have to embrace our need for God to forgive us and all that He's done for us in Christ. That it's through faith in Jesus that we're saved from that sin, that we're freed from the controlling influence of our sin over our lives, and so we get to spend every day of our lives living with God in this intimate relationship where we call on Him as our Father, and we know His love and His compassion, and we trust in Him for everything. This is the good news that we get to share with others. Um, let me just ask you, what, what do you think an alcoholic uh, needs to hear? You know, I mean, do we tell him that he has a sickness and that he needs therapy, therapy or he needs a 10-step program? Uh, that might be helpful to some degree, but it's not really going to get at the problem of his heart. What he really needs to hear is the gospel. He needs to see how abusing alcohol and getting drunk is sinful, that it's wrong, it's, it's a destructive way of handling his problems. He needs the hope that only the gospel offers that this is sin that can be forgiven. It can be wiped away. He can be freed from it so that he's able then to love God and to love others in his life. And you see, that's the good news. God changes our hearts, and so He changes our lives. You and I have that good news to share, beloved. But Paul goes on, right? Next, he shows us what's behind that good news of the gospel. In verse 16, it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. You might be able to notice with me how Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. He's not saying the gospel talks about God's power or that it has power, but he rather just puts it forward, declares the gospel is the power of God. The Greek word uh, Paul uses for power is uh, dunamis, and that's where we get our word for dynamite. And I remember very well, uh, there was uh, one time down in Montevideo when the city decided to demolish an old soccer stadium that was in terrible condition. Nobody was using it anymore. And so I watched at a very safe distance uh, as they positioned all the dynamite in just the right places, and then they detonated the explosives 
uh, sending this tremendous shockwave of force through the stadium, uh, causing this massive rumbling, and everything fell down in the dust. Brothers and sisters, it's the all-powerful force of God Himself that's behind the gospel to save, to change lives. Exactly what kind of power are we talking about? Unlimited power. Uh, it's God's power, power that created the world and all that exists in the space of just six days. It was that same power that separated the Red Sea and held the walls of water in place until God's people could escape from Pharaoh. It's the power, beloved, that we see in our Savior Jesus when He stood outside the tomb of His friend Lazarus and called Him forth. There is nothing that could keep Lazarus in the grave because Christ commanded Him to come. As a matter of fact, it's the power of God that that raised our Jesus from His own tomb. Paul loved to write about the power of God. Listen to his prayer for the Ephesian church in chapter 1. This is how he's praying for them. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Beloved, the gospel carries with it resurrection power. Um, I love to talk about one of our members down in Montevideo at the church. Uh, as a teenager, he, he was involved in uh, all kinds of situations with drugs. Uh, he was living a pretty desperate life until someone shared the gospel with him and God changed him. The Lord saved him. Uh, he's been <clears throat> happily married for years now. Uh, they have six children of their own, but they also uh, have taken into their home one of their nieces who comes from a very troubled background. Uh, twice a week, they take their family, if you were counting as I was saying that, they take their family of nine and they stuff them into this little five-seater car. It's the only car, actually, they're the only ones who have a car in our church as well. And they drive 45 minutes back and forth uh, to church on Sundays and then again on Tuesdays for Bible study. And then our, my brother Matthias loves to tell others about Christ. He just loves to tell them. Every, he's the one I was just mentioning. Uh, he and I get together, put that stew together, and share the gospel. Uh, it's not only that, though. Uh, he also, every week, goes out to a drug rehab center that's sponsored by a church, and uh, he shares the gospel again with those young men. All this is simply to say, beloved, that's the power of God. Um, there's no person that can produce that kind of change in any individual. That's the power of God working through the gospel. And that's really what you and I need to remember when we have a chance to share it with someone. The power of God for salvation is in the message, beloved. It's in the message much more than it's in the messenger. Uh, whether he's a, a charismatic kind of person or just uh, a regular Joe Blow kind of guy like me, the power is in the message. It isn't up to you and me to save anyone. Our part is to share the Savior that we know and then trust His power to work through us. And so really, we should never be ashamed of the gospel because it's good news of the power of God 
for salvation, but also because, look again with me in verse 16, it's salvation for, Paul says, is for everyone who believes. Verse 16, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, as we think about this, just let me be clear, first of all, that <clears throat> Paul, Paul's not saying that everyone who's ever lived is going to be saved and go to heaven. Um, God's Word never teaches the idea of universalism. As a matter of fact, notice how Paul states that the gospel is for the salvation of everyone who what? Who believes. Uh, our Lord Jesus said the same thing, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes on Him shall not perish. But we know that not everyone is going to believe in the gospel and be saved. As a matter of fact, we understand that it's only as God Himself works His grace in someone's heart that they're going to believe. So, so that's not Paul's point here at all. What is Paul's point? Well, the gospel salvation for everyone, no matter who you are, uh, whether, in this case, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. Um, and you probably already, already realize this, but Jews and Gentiles normally hated one another. The Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people, and usually that caused them to look down on anybody else. But you see, the gospel was not something that Jesus' disciples or that the Apostle Paul had made up it wasn't something that they had invented, because if it was, then they would have only preached it to the other Jews. But the gospel wasn't meant to be good news just for a certain group of people. The gospel is salvation for everyone, for people, both uh, Jews and Gentiles. And beloved, this is important to, to know just because this reality proves the gospel doesn't come from man. It's not about us or our invention. It comes from God Himself. If the gospel was something that men made up, it would really be limited to our own special interests. Uh, all I mean by that is it would be preached to some but not to others. Uh, it would be for the wealthy but not for the poor. Or maybe the gospel would just go to the poor and not to the wealthy. Or maybe be shared just with young people but not with the elderly. Or maybe just to Republicans, but not to Democrats. So that if you don't fit into a certain category, you'd have no chance of receiving the good news. But you see, the gospel is offered to everyone. To everyone. No matter what race, what age, what social class, what economic standing, what political party, we're all in the same boat which is sinking in the lake of fire, and we desperately need to be rescued. Our Lord Jesus Himself, you know, He gave the gospel to Nicodemus, who was a highly esteemed member of the Jews, as well as uh, prostitutes, poor beggars on the street, tax collectors. The Apostle Peter, when he finished his sermon after Pentecost, declared, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Brothers and sisters, the point's just this. How can you and I be ashamed of something like the gospel that, that cuts across every category of person that is really meant to go out to everyone? What that means for us uh, down in Uruguay 
is that the gospel is not just for Uruguayans, but it's for other nationalities. In the past couple of years, uh, we've had a big influx of immigration from countries like Venezuela uh, and also Cuba. It's because of all of, of the turmoil that folks have been going through in those countries. They come to Uruguay to seek relief. Some of them have been believers, and they've joined us in worship. But, um, but it's not too hard to notice that our Uruguayan friends can be suspicious. Um, there's some animosity going on there. And so it's a matter of trying to help them to see that in Christ and through faith in Him, we're one, and God brings us together. But what does it mean for you? Uh, what does it mean for you in your context? I mean, maybe where you work, maybe it means that the gospel is for that, that gutter-mouthed, hot-tempered co-worker just as well as the polite, well-mannered secretary that works in the office. I mean, both of them are really lost in sin, and they need to trust the gospel that's offered to them. But beloved, how are they going to receive that gospel if you and I are too ashamed or too embarrassed or too afraid to share it with them? And so really, we need to be and can be unashamed of the gospel. It's good news. It's the power of God, and it's for everyone who believes. And there's more to say here. Paul has more to tell us. Verse 17. Uh, this is really the key, the key to the, the goodness of the gospel because it reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17, the first part, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In the very beginning, when, when God created Adam and Eve, He commanded them to perfect obedience, and they were to obey God perfectly, perfectly to receive everlasting life. But when they disobeyed God, uh, they became completely corrupt in their sin, they lost their relationship with God, they became eternally condemned. And as Adam and Eve represented all mankind, every person has inherited that completely sinful nature, uh, unable to obey God for eternal life, and is eternally condemned. There's none of us that can give God the perfect obedience that He deserves. But you see, that's exactly why God sent His Son into the world, because Jesus came to earn our salvation for us in our place, right? He was required to live in perfect obedience for us to do what the original Adam failed to do. And beloved, that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. There was a time when He told His disciples, and Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish His work. Jesus said, the will of God for me is my food. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what the kind of food is that I usually like and enjoy. But for Jesus, the food, his food is obedience. His food was, was love for his heavenly Father and to do his will. So much so that in John 8, 46, John declares that no one could prove that Jesus was ever guilty of any sin. And Hebrews 4, 15 says, gives the same idea, declares Jesus perfectly obedient, saying he was tempted in every way, every respect as we are, yet without sin. Um, and I just have to ask you, 
I don't know how long you've been in the church, but does that, uh, does that still amaze you? Does that still blow your mind? Uh, perfect love. Perfect love. The more that I think about my own sinful heart, um, the more amazed I am at Jesus. How many times I know that I don't trust God as I know that I should, or how I worship, and I do, I worship other people or other things in my life in place of the Lord. How many times I tend to envy other people's gifts instead of be content with the way the Lord has gifted me. Other times, beloved, that I get worried about the future, forgetting as to how much God has already done for me in the past. And that's not even to say the ways that I've acted against, acted out against other people in my life, especially the ones that are closest to me. But you know what? Then I look to Jesus. Then I look to Him. Spotless, pure, sincere, loving, compassionate, patient, yet firm, always speaking the truth in love. One of my favorite things to do, no matter where I am in devotions, is to go back and read through the Gospels, going through Luke right now, and to walk together with Christ in that personal way, and to see His ministry to people, to myself, to my own heart. And it's this Jesus that, that offered that perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. Listen to me to the, to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5. This is what Jesus does. As by the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, namely Jesus, the many will be made righteous. What did Paul say? A righteous God, a holy God, accepts the perfect righteousness of Christ in our place. Through the obedient life of Jesus, we are declared righteous before God. So that as we trust Jesus to save us from sin, we are freed from the condemnation that we deserve. And beloved, this is the judicial declaration of the King of heaven. Uh, his gavel in glory has come down. His decision cannot be changed. God declares us righteous once and for all time. Very often in our church Montevideo, when we have someone join as a new member, we ask them to share their testimony in our Bible study. And when they're finished, normally one of us is going to ask them in, in the Bible of all the truths that are there, like, what's the most precious to you? What's the most important? And I think every single time I've heard someone answer, justification, justification, the act of God's free grace whereby He pardons us of all our sin and accepts us as righteous in His sight. And because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, received by faith alone, we receive God's own righteousness. And beloved, that's the wonderful news of the gospel. But let me ask you, how, how wonderful is it for you, brother, for you, sister? How wonderful is it for you? In the moments... When you know that you've grieved the Lord, you've grieved your Heavenly Father, when you know that you've really hurt someone that you love, or maybe when you struggle with the same sin pattern in your life, and you're tempted to feel, as I have, like God can't still love you, 
I'm like, there's no way he can keep on forgiving you for the same sin. And you may even think, God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Are you looking to Jesus? It's where we need to look. The Reformed pastor of old, Robert Murray McShane, I put it in a way that I'll always remember. For every one look you take at your own sin, take not just one, two, three, take ten looks at the cross of Christ. Look again at His sacrifice that forgives all your sin. Look again at His perfect life of obedience and love to the Father given to you. Look at His perfect blood that, as the hymn loves to say, has washed away all our guilty sins. And then, grounded in in God's grace, then come confessing to your Father. Bring your sin to Him, trusting in His forgiveness, and then striving to love Him even more faithfully from a thankful heart. You see, that's why we should never be ashamed of the gospel, because when we're sharing the gospel with someone, we're not sharing our own good stuff about us. We're not, this is not about our righteousness. If that were the case, it would be a very, very short conversation. But we hold out to others the amazing gift of God's own righteousness. And beloved, that's a gift that's received only by faith. Only by faith. Paul's last point. Um, it's pretty amazing in just two verses, he mentions faith four times just to show us how important faith is in our life. Uh, first part of, second part of verse 16, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Verse 17, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, beloved, what is faith exactly? What are we talking about? Um, I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby, and listen to these two words, whereby we receive and we rest upon Him, alone for salvation offered to us in the gospel. We receive Him and we rest upon Him. They're really passive words that are given. There's nothing here like we are doing or, or giving in order to earn God's salvation. But faith is receiving Jesus, and it's resting upon Him who's done, He's already done everything necessary for us. Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. And I'm pretty sure that all of us would say amen to that verse. And yet practically, from day to day, I tend to think that we still, we still depend on our works and our relationship with God, you and I do. I mean, don't we often think this way? We think, you know, this week I prayed several times a day. I've really been faithful in prayer. I read a good Christian book. I went to all of our church's activities. Well, God must be happy with me. It sounds really silly even to just say those words, but I'm telling you, if you examine your heart, we're bound to find that's often how we think. Or maybe we lean the other way. Maybe we think, I keep getting angry with the people that I love. I keep saying things that hurt them. How can God go on to forgive me? 
And so that very often we, we live like these yo-yos that are going up and down, going up, you know, feeling confident of God's love, but then sometimes down, feeling like He doesn't love me anymore. How do we break free of that? How do we stay free of that kind of yo-yo life? Look at me again, verse 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. You see, the apostle emphasizes how central faith is in the gospel. Uh, that we, we receive, we're saved by faith, but then we keep living for Christ by faith. We were just singing it this morning. In the original Greek, the verb in verse 16 for believes carries the sense that saving faith, it's not just a one-time event, but it's part of our entire Christian life. So that originally God declares us righteous by faith when we come to Him, but then we keep believing in Christ. We keep, put, keep putting our faith in Him as we keep trusting Him and resting in Him. What does He do? Then He deepens and strengthens our conviction that our relationship with God depends completely on Him and only on what He's done for us. And we continue to grow in that way in Christ. Beloved, you know, all that God has given us in Jesus is, is a profound treasure full of blessings that you and I really need to keep knowing and growing in. Um, I would really encourage you at some point, read through Ephesians chapter 1, just the first 14 verses or so. Uh, it's a wonderful passage where Paul lays out the beauty of our salvation, how, how God from all eternity chose us to be Him, His in Christ, how He adopted us to become His own children, how He redeemed us by the precious blood of Christ, how He, because we're redeemed, He has forgiven us all our sin, and how He has sealed us with His Holy Spirit, guaranteeing an eternal inheritance that is never going to perish, spoil, or fade. That's the beauty of our salvation we need to keep growing in and knowing more and more. Because as we do, beloved, we come to recognize that you and I are the only ones who have this message to give as believers, as Christians. We know that any other religion forces people to do something to earn salvation. But what we're sharing with folks is that they need to come to God empty-handed so they can embrace all that Jesus has done for them in His life, His death, His resurrection. It could be that you're here with us this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've, maybe you've been in the church for a long time, and yet perhaps even to this day, you haven't come to the point where, where you are confessing or seeing yourself as, as sinful, that you've sinned against God, uh, or, or even maybe you're just ignoring the fact of how, how much you're hurting those in your lives around you. Well, let me encourage you with all my heart today that you come, come in prayer, pray to God, pray a simple prayer, asking, asking God to forgive your sins and what He's done for sinners in Jesus, and asking Him to change your life. Today is the day of salvation, and we trust the Lord to be working among us, don't we? Because He is faithful.
And because he's so faithful, beloved, we, we know we have a gospel that we get to share with others. A gospel of good news. Good news that is really the power of God for salvation. And that's good news that goes out to everyone. It's beautiful news of the righteousness of God himself that he's given to sinful people. And we don't receive it by anything that we can do, but only by faith. Well, that's the beauty of the gospel, beloved. You know, may, may our Lord be at work in our own hearts to make that even more beautiful to us so that we will love to share it with others in the same way that someone once shared it with us and brought us to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ. We thank you that you see our hearts this morning. They're like open books laid out before you. And Father, there is, uh, there's nothing that we should be trying to hide from you. And we pray, Father, that you would be graciously at work in us to make this gospel, this good news, this amazing work that you have done in your Son far more precious to us Make it beautiful to us. And the Father, as, as you work that in us, then give us our heart's desire to show others who you are. And, and then really to leave the work in your hands, and knowing that it's only you and your Holy Spirit that changes people's lives. The Father, keep us faithful to do what you've called us to do and to proclaim Christ as the only Savior. Thank you, Father. Uh, we pray, uh, work that in us as individuals, work that in Harvest OPC as a church, work that, Lord, in Salvas Progracia, there in Montevideo as well, as you continue to faithfully build your church. In your name, Lord, we pray, trusting in you. Amen. Would you please uh, stand together with me? We're going to close uh, this morning singing... We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves.
children of our Heavenly Father, receive His benediction. And now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen.